Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. I want you to imagine a perfect sandwich. The bread is crispy and crunchy on the outside and fluffy and airy on the inside. Inside, there's layers of cold cuts such as pork belly, terrain, sausage, and not to mention a nice spread of chicken liver pate. Then there's fresh vegetables like cucumber, spring onion, pickles, coriander, chili, and voila! Mmm, that's delicious. And that's what a good bami should be, right? Like, with one bite, yeah. you should taste everything. Correct, yeah. Hi there, I'm Alkira Reinfrank. And I'm Bernice Chan. Today's episode is about one of the best sandwiches the world has to offer. Ban Mi. The Ban Mi and Pho, and these are probably the two most iconic uh, Vietnamese dishes, similar to, let's say, you know, sushi in, in Japanese or Pad Thai in, in um, Thai cooking. While Ban Mi might look simple, a French baguette stuffed with Vietnamese ingredients, there's more to it than meets the eye. The French ruled Vietnam for only about 100 years, but you know, um, China ruled Vietnam for over a thousand years. So it has a very deep, lasting influence in the culture, in the cuisine, and how people cook and how people eat. Despite its deep roots in Vietnam and France, banh mi has been hugely popular in countries like Australia and the United States since the 1970s. And then over the years, definitely TV shows, travel shows, you know, Anthony Bourdain, you know. Looking back, it's hard to imagine this simple sandwich would become so universally accepted, as it all started when the Vietnamese weren't even allowed access to wheat flour. That will only make people, local people, want to consume it more. You know what I mean? <laughs> all that, and how do you make a baguette in a country that's known for its stifling humidity? Welcome to another episode of Eat Drink Asia, where we dive into an Asian food that has gone global. Stay with us. What's first? How do we get into first, this? Um, first, we cut the, the bread. So uh, give you the knife. So I will just. It's a sunny it Thursday afternoon, and we're in an open kitchen of a yeah, Vietnamese restaurant called Le Petit Saigon in Hong Kong. And we're here to make ban mi with the head chef Teen Pine. So let's chuck it in here. In front of us, there are all these colourful ingredients that are lined up nice and neat in these little metal containers. Pork belly. We have head cheese and some Vietnamese uh, sausages. Another must-have is um, pate, pickles. We definitely cannot go uh, do away with pickles. And the herbs and cucumber. So herbs, we have coriander and uh, spring onions. And then we can't do it without the chilli, the, the punch to it. Yeah. 
While waiting for the bread to heat up in the oven, we start layering the cold cuts on the cutting board. So there's slices of pork belly, homemade sausages, and in Vietnamese cooking, no parts of the animals are wasted, hence something called head cheese. And then this is head cheese, which is basically terrine. So it's just made of um, pig's head, uh, pig's tongue. Um, there is um, black fungi in there, and then all sorts of seasoning. Yeah, because um, it's the whole pig's head. So we really uh, we boil it to get it really soft, and we get all the meat out, and then we mix it with all the different flavors and um, ingredients, and then we roll it really tight. Yeah. So um, uh, I think the bread is ready. So okay. let's grab our bread. It's not. We take the bread out of the oven, slide the cold cuts into the warm baguette, and spread a layer of rich chicken liver pate. Uh, spread the pate over the meat instead of on the bread. Also, one reason why is because so we won't get the bread all soggy. Next, we put on fresh cucumber, spring onions, pickled vegetables, and coriander. That's a good amount. Um, again, and finished with a splash of Maggie soy sauce, and that's our banh mi. So we've got massive banh mi. So beautiful. Go Yum. Ahead. Go ahead and try it. <laughs> All right, remember those steps? We're going to come back to it soon. But first, in case you don't know... So the early formation of the banh mi came because when the French colonized Vietnam, they needed to eat their own food. This is Peter Franklin. Chef owner of uh, An Ang Restaurant and Nho Nho Bar, uh, both in Ho Chi Minh City. Peter was talking to our producer, Yang Yang, over the phone at his restaurant, which is located at the heart of a market in Saigon, or Ho Chi Minh. You can hear the hustle and bustle of the market in the background, and later on you can hear his two cats, Yin and Yang, who are vocal about wanting dinner. Any possibility you can hold them up and let them meow to the microphone? I think we can use a proper introduction if possible. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. So back to the French colonization of Vietnam. So they brought things like uh, the banh mi wheat to make the bread, uh, cheese, coffee, um, and other products that they would consume every day. And gradually, um, you know, the local people began to have access to these items, although in the beginning only very limited form. Um, and why and, was that? Uh, it's uh, costs a lot, you know, and mm. it takes time. Uh, so the supplies are limited. So, of course, uh, let's say the French would want to preserve this for themselves. The French, of course, you know, they love their baguette. People, they need bread like we need rice. So if they run out of bread, then uh, this is big trouble. Right. Um, Just a quick question over there, because I I read some articles saying um, at that time when the French was ruling Vietnam, they also had this sort of a regulation or policy to ban local Vietnamese from eating or consuming wheat flour because that was considered a higher social status and uh, the the colonized people um, was not worthy of it. Was that right? Only, that will only make people, local people, want to consume it more. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the so, forbidden fruit. Uh, things like that only want to make people consume it more because things that are forbidden are hard to get. So it turns out that you can't ban people from eating something. In the beginning, wheat, coffee, butter, they all appeared in Vietnam as luxury items that few locals could afford. But over time, it... it uh, 
when the costs uh, uh, get reduced, it became uh, integrated into um, the local food of the local people. Because of its history, Vietnam is now one of the few places in Asia where Western-style bread is available everywhere and is part of the local cuisine. But to understand how banh mi became, well, banh mi, we need to break the sandwich down, one layer at a time, starting with... We start with the French baguette, which um, uh, is, uh, has a lot of flavour. Um, but uh, two issues, it's very dense and very elastic, so... It's fairly hard to chew. A classic French ham sandwich involves a baguette, a few slices of ham, some butter and cheese, and maybe some mustard. When you take that same baguette for a ham sandwich to make it banh mi, it doesn't work, according to Peter. It's actually better that it does not have too much flavor. Uh, When you have too much flavor in the bread, it takes away and competes with the balance of the sandwich. To solve that, some Vietnamese would add more yeast and water to the dough to hydrate it and make it lighter. When you do that, the bread tastes more bland. Then there's the other challenge of making baguettes, humidity. In the bread making process, what well, we have a, a process we, we call uh, um, proofing, which is um, once you knead the dough, is allow it rest time. Um, and the longer it rests, it allows basically the yeast to develop and develop flavor and also texture. So typically, uh, in the old days, in the French kitchen, they would basically most of the time bake bread in the basement. And, and let's say in Paris, it's cold. So it's very, the temperature in the basement is also perfect. So they just leave the bread outside. It's very cool temperature. So they can proof the bread overnight for about 12 hours, for example. It develops textures and flavor. Now, when you bring the bread to Vietnam... Where it's hot, humid, and rainy, basically tropical for most of the time. So the bread sits outside for the proofing. So uh, now this bread is different in every parts of Vietnam because of the temperature. So for example, when you make this bread in, uh, let's say the most extreme, let's say in Dalat, in the mountain area of Vietnam, for example, it's colder. The weather is similar to San Francisco. So they can proof their bread anywhere. They can proof their bread overnight for 12 hours. So it, it comes closer to a French, French bread. In Saigon, it's hot and with no refrigerator. And the bakery that I go to, they basically let it proof outside for only one hour. Uh, so this produces a very different types of bread. It's, much, it's bigger, it's lighter, but it doesn't have as much flavor. The bread for banh mi is similar to rice in that it doesn't actually have much flavor. But that's actually better because the star of banh mi is the second layer. Uh, the second part, the most important part, is the, all the meats that's inside. What the French brought is the art of charcuterie. Which is basically how to use uh, leftover pork products to make cocuts, which can be kept for a long time. In Vietnam, the most common cold cut in banh mi is what's called ja lo, a pork sausage similar to bologna. The Vietnamese make it with ground pork seasoned with fish sauce and pepper and wrap it in a banana leaf to be steamed. Uh, steamed pork product steaming, as you know, is a very Asian um, Chinese technique for making food, um, So, uh, which is not part of the French cuisine, but so they're using now new technique, using leftover pork to make a completely different product. There's a dozen pork products like this that go into banh mi in Vietnam, 
all made in a local and creative way. There's one made of pig head, there's one that's fermented, one that's rubbed with cinnamon and deep fried to develop a crust. And there's char siu, which is a Cantonese barbecue pork. The French ruled Vietnam for only about 100 years, but you know, um, China ruled Vietnam for over a thousand years. So it has a very deep lasting influence in the culture, in the cuisine and how people cook and how people eat. And you see it pop up in different places. Okay, we have the bread, we have the charcuterie, and do we have anything yeah. left? The third part is basically all the herbs and the vegetable, fresh vegetables. So when you look at, for example, Cantonese cuisine, you rarely ever see uh, fresh uh, herbs and vegetables. For example, even in lettuce, uh, in a soup, uh, you know, in Hong Kong, uh, people would actually boil the or cook the the, the cabbage or the lettuce in the soup, for example. Um, right. In Vietnamese cuisine, we like it fresh. The Vietnamese introduced lightness and freshness with vegetables, herbs, and pickles to the sandwich, which perfectly balances the richness of the cold cuts and pate. So bread, cold cuts, pate, vegetables and herbs, and last but not least... Um, and then the other component would be sauces and seasoning, which vary depends on the region. Well, to be clear, barn mi tastes different wherever you are in Vietnam. A Saigon barn mi is very different from a Hanoi barn mi or a Hoi An barn mi. Uh, for example, when you eat the ha- Hanoi banh mi, it has basically just a charcuterie bread, which is sometimes beautiful in their own right. Okay, when these products are good, you don't need anything else. This is more the northern way of seeing food, similar to, let's say, uh, Chinese, uh, Cantonese or Italian cooking. It's about the product. And when the product is good, you don't need to put anything inside. So, for example, the charcuterie in the bread in Hanoi is some of the best that you, you see in Vietnam. Okay, so when you have these two that are really good, you don't need to put anything inside of it. Mm. Okay, so similar to way when you look at pho, Hanoi pho, for example, it only has meat, broth, and noodle. It doesn't have uh, bean sprout, all the herbs and all the stuff that, that, that you normally see in the pho. But this, that pho, that banh mi, is beautiful in its own right because it's simplicity. And remember the one the late, great Anthony Bourdain had on TV? That one was from Hoi An. Here's your halfway oh. bread. Oh, yeah, look at that goodness. Oh, yeah. So what do you got? Your That's essentially a hot sandwich. The meats are all cooked and heated up, and it has a lot of different sauces in it. Now, the banh mi you know is probably the Saigon banh mi. Um, that's the one that get disseminated to the rest of the world because, you know, after 1975, when Vietnam was united, we have millions of Vietnamese people who immigrated to uh, all over the world. There's about, I think, four million people now, you know, to France, to the US, to Australia, to Hong Kong, to other parts of Asia. So what they brought is essentially the southern, southern Vietnamese version, which has, uh, is much bigger. It has a lot of different meat products, but essentially it's a cold cut sandwich seasoned with soy sauce. Pickles. Uh, pickles. Cucumber. Uh, cucumber. Coriander and uh, spring onion. And, um, and coriander. Uh, so, but that, that's not the only version. Peter came from a poor village called Dalat in southern Vietnam. When he was young, he didn't have much money for a proper meal. But eating a baguette was one of his earliest happy memories. Uh, one of the luxuries that I had was uh, to just to buy a very inexpensive baguette and we would basically we eat it with a little bit of butter and sugar inside of it. So this is my memory of the banh mi. 
So it's a, it's a very inexpensive snack that I can eat on during the day. Uh, so the for the Vietnamese now, uh, if you look at as it exists today, it, it's uh, still a very uh, inexpensive portable product. It's not part of the meal, uh, but it, it allows you to have a quick inexpensive snack uh, any time of the day. Uh, and you don't need to sit down. You can hold in your hand. You can walk around. And it costs only about you know anywhere between fifteen to twenty thousand dong, which is about you know four to five Hong Kong dollars. So, and this is the, the state of the banh mi today. Still, you know, it's it's a very accessible, uh, t- tasty, inexpensive product that anyone can consume. That cheap portable banh mi made the perfect meal for millions of Vietnamese who fled the wars and the communist takeover, feeding them along their turbulent journeys. Peter calls it real food. And what we're trying to do is produce real food. Mm. What is real food? Uh, uh, real food is uh, food that tastes good, that people eat. When you go on the street and you see people making, enjoying very simple food like this, this is real food, you know? Maybe because of that, maybe because everything in banh mi appears so approachable and familiar. Bread, familiar. Meats, familiar. Vegetables, pickles, you know. So maybe they're, they're more inclined to try it. This simple sandwich carrying the history and memories of many generations has gone a long way from home. So do you eat banh mi every day? No, I had to stop myself from eating banh mi every day. (laughs) So Akira, you got to tell me, how many banh mi have we eaten during this production of this episode? I think you've only eaten one, but I've eaten two, and I'm probably going to get one for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I try it all. Next episode, we're tackling another favorite, which is Korean fried chicken. Yeah! <laughs> so stay tuned for that one. This episode is produced and edited by Yang Yang, and we want to thank Peter Franklin and Teen Pine. If you want to ask us about a dish or a drink, tweet us at Beijing Calling and at Alkira Ryan Frank. Eat Drink Asia is a monthly podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Shimalaya. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcast. Until next time, happy eating! Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. And I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.